Lob it up to Rudy, put it down. Mitchell three. Yes! The rookie comes alive! Hello, Jazz Nation, and welcome to Hashtag Jazz. My name is Jason Walker, joined as always by... Playoff playoff Trey. <laughs> playoff Trey. I like it. The Playoff Trey Sanders. So, or, uh, or Push Off Trey. Push Off Trey. Oh, that was hilarious in that game. Like, yeah, I mean, was I, awesome. wasn't th- I wasn't there, but I, um, I heard what they were talking about and mm. almost heard the chant. Um, <clears throat> But it, last last time we talked, we were uh, we were disappointed, but not necessarily dismayed, following a game one loss to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder. But now the Jazz have the upper hand; they're up two one, uh, with one more home game in hand before we head back to Oklahoma City. So, uh, playoff Trey, what are your thoughts so far on this uh, playoff series? Um. I can't say it's what was advertised because um, I don't know. I just I, I like to see that the Jazz are wholeheartedly that team that got here to the playoffs in the first place. Like um, they're back to being ridiculously um, on top of their defensive effort, and then they've got back to moving the ball. And I I I I went a little too far. I was like I was a little too excited about the game last night um and i called uh on facebook i called russell westbrook overrated um mostly and then i i had to sit back and was like no he's not overrated it's just really really nice to see um a superstar and not only one superstar but three superstars relatively just become irrelevant and suck it's really nice yeah, that is the amazing thing in this series is that when you just look at the rosters up and down, and you know maybe from the perspective of somebody outside of Utah, because you know most people tend to overrate their own rosters, uh, their capabilities, and you just say, well, the Thunder are obviously better. And that that's what you would think just looking through the rosters, but mm-hmm. that's not what's happening. The Jazz look like f- the far better team so far, at least in these last two games. Um, I shouldn't say far better, um, but they have looked like the better team, and and they've played like yeah. that, and I, and I think they've played like that the whole series. I just think when we talked about this in our our last podcast, the the Thunder just made a lot of really good shots in Game One, and kind of like what we said, if they weren't hitting those shots, they wouldn't win the the they wouldn't keep winning games, and they haven't. And granted, they've not been terribly inefficient, but they haven't been nearly as efficient i mean heck in yesterday's game yeah yesterday's game they shot 50 percent from three but i think a lot of that was in the first half and it was really that second half where things began to fall apart um and i i guess i guess i agree on the we shouldn't get too excited um that kind of boat because it's a 2-1 game or a 2-1 series anything could happen the jazz you know, lose two out of the next three games, and suddenly they're in a loser go home. You know, game six or whatever it would be. I'm not great at math, but this is a series that can that you know. Obviously, the Jazz have the upper hand. You always do when you're up two one, but it's still a very losable series at the same time. If they don't keep up what they're doing good, um, but obviously, I think the main what we're going to talk about first is really the the main aspects of what has 
led to this complete turnaround? We've already talked about a couple, but I think the first one, and uh, Trey, you kind of brought up a little bit when you talked about Russell Westbrook in that, you know, obviously I, I wouldn't go so far as that he's overrated. I don't hold him in his high esteem as a lot of people. I, I think that, you know, I, I didn't think he should have won MVP last year. That That's a really hot take. But um, the thing that has surprised me is that Russell Westbrook has been surprisingly passive for, you know, a guy that is known for being aggressive, going into the paint, putting his head down, just whatever comes happens, you know, come hell or high water, he's going to either get a basket or an assist. And he hasn't quite been that the last couple of games. You'll see him, and he can, if he really wanted to, he can get by Rubio on any occasion. And there were several points he did that, at least yesterday. But so many times you'll see him just get scared of going into the paint. Probably a lot of do that with uh, Rudy Gobert, but he just hasn't been the same aggressive Russell Westbrook most of us have been used to seeing. And I think that has has played a factor. I mean, Trey, what have you thought of, of Russell Westbrook's play? Uh, it's not the Russell Westbrook we are used to seeing touted. Um, I remember I watched actually a, uh, one of the, the post-game interview from last night, and somebody asked him, like, are you okay? Like, I noticed you were getting treatment on the sideline. Like, is everything okay on the upper body? And he brushed it off. Like, well, everybody's body, everybody's body's banged up. We just got to fight through it. And so that makes me wonder if there's something that maybe Oklahoma City's uh, training staff and coaches are kind of withholding. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, we're, we're used to him being explosive. But um, I really think that the... I really think that the defensive effort from the Jazz has really just made him rethink what's going on. Like, there's guys everywhere. I mean, the Jazz are just everywhere on defense, and it's it's getting into everyone's head, not just his. <laughs> yeah, and that is another thing. The defense for the Jazz can't be overstated. I think they've they have really forced Oklahoma City into really out of their comfort zone. I should say. Uh, they're they're forcing, you know, Russell Westbrook and Paul George and Camilo Anthony into more isolation situations that, and obviously the Jazz don't have a lot of great one-on-one defenders, but they have been able to, you know, limit these guys and force them on kind of their own island, which they haven't been able to be as efficient, especially with Russell Westbrook kind of being a little passive to where he's not willing to make something, you know, of his matchup with Ricky Rubio, which, you know, we tout Ricky Rubio being a great defender, but again, the amount that he's been able, I don't know, either Ricky Rubio is becoming a defensive god or Russell Westbrook is, you know, maybe he's hurt or just is suddenly not, not knowing what to do in the playoffs, which I don't, I don't really know his playoff history. He seemed to be at least a decent guy, a decent player in the playoffs. Um, but he's he seemed to just be collapsing. And I, I wouldn't say it's it collapsing. I think he's just putting too much trust into Paul George and Carmelo Anthony. Like I get that they're talented guys, but they've been playing like shit. <laughs> I mean, Paul George is like I mean he was seven of sixteen last night, um, and he didn't even get the majority of his points until the fourth quarter. Um, 
so I think he's just like, well, you know, I can't do everything, so I need to I need to give this off to people. But not even that. Like his, he had like I think he ended with like seven turnovers last night. Yeah, yeah. Russell Westbrook had had quite a few turnovers, and I I guess I do think maybe he is putting too much into Paul George because Paul George is coming through for the most part in this series. He hasn't really had a bad game. Now, obviously, his last two didn't quite compare to his first game, but in his first game, he had 8 of 12 threes and had 36 points. It's hard to meet that expectation every game. But, yeah, maybe he is really the only person who's really committed in this series for Oklahoma City because Carmelo Anthony is kind of a shell of his old self and Russell Westbrook isn't living up to his own standard in terms of at least offensive efficiency. He's still getting those close to triple-double numbers, but he doesn't feel like the same the same catalyst of a team, especially that he was last year and that we've constantly seen whenever he plays the Jazz in the regular season. You know, for as much as I feel like Russell Westbrook is to a degree overrated, every time he plays the Jazz, he is the best player on the court. But he's not even the best player on his own team, and he's probably close to fourth or fifth in terms of best players on the floor in this series. And it's just really weird to me to see that. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he went he went 5 of 17 last night. He was negative 25 for the game. Eight turnovers, two fouls. Um, he had two steals. I mean, he did make some awesome, like, plays, but I don't know. I, like something's up i don't know and i really don't care i'd much rather just watch westbrook fail because i just find it hilarious um same with paul george i mean this was a team that was put together specifically for the playoffs and to see them not like the entire season they haven't been gelling well so i feel like you know these last two games that the jazz have won especially last night with that blowout win i just feel like this team kind of knows that this is the end of it like they know that they're not even if they do get past this round they're not gonna they're not gonna make it yeah definitely i don't think they would win a series with the rockets or you know assume that they win their series which maybe i mean they're up 2-1 i think now so you never know but i i do agree that especially if I mean, if the Jazz win the next game, the series would effectually be over for a lot of those reasons you said. Like, they'll basically give up. They'll probably roll over. And, you know, as much as you you hate to see a team give up in the playoffs, you never want to see that. But I I feel like that may happen with the Thunder if they lose this next game. If they win it, that could turn the tide for the whole series and maybe spur on Smoke Oklahoma City Thunder momentum. So... Um, one thing I did want to go into, there's another player that I think has played a very underrated role um, in these last two games, although it's really more of his absence that I feel has been a role in this series, and that is Steven Adams. And we talked about him in our, our last podcast uh, in that you know he's not necessarily dominating the series, but his his impact is felt in that he's actually able to stand up to Rudy Gobert, you know, both, you know, I guess physically and in a uh, metaphorical instance. But in these last two games, he's played, I think, he played 22 minutes in game two, 
and 26 minutes in Game 3. Both of those were Jazz wins. He played 36 minutes in the Thunder's uh, Game 1 win. And like I said, he's not a guy who's going to be a stat monster. I think he had like 12 and 8 or something like that in Game 1. Took maybe five shots. But his his presence can cause trouble for Rudy Gobert, but he hasn't been in the game. He's barely played half the game in these last two uh, two games. So mm-hmm. I think that is an extremely underrated part of the series. The Jazz have been able to dominate the interior, which has a big ripple effect in that Paul George, you know, come to think of it, I rarely have seen Paul George in the paint taking shots. I mean, think about yeah, how many, you're right. Yeah, he's been like, pretty much like, exclusively jump shots. Yeah, and same with Carmelo Anthony. Russell Westbrook's the only person I've seen get into the paint, and it's usually when Rudy Gobert's outside of it, um, which, you know, I feel like the Thunder have tried to draw Rudy Gobert out of the paint, but they haven't taken as much advantage of it as you would expect them to. But, again, I, I just think, again, and tell me what you think. Steven Adams has been a huge... I think, well, that was a, a big factor in, you know, looking into this series before it happened. That was the thing a lot of people pointed to, including us, saying that would play a big factor is Steven Adams, but, you know, last two games he hasn't really been on the court. Well, he hasn't been on the court because Gobert and Favors have taken him out of the game. <laughs> I mean... It's hard for a player, especially for Billy Donovan, to justify him staying in for a lot of minutes if he can't do anything. I mean, last night he had two rebounds. That is not who Steven Adams is. We've taken taken him away from his offensive rebounds, and he may have went four for six from the field, but that's, I mean... If you, if your player, if your main center is not making an impact on the game, Billy Donovan's obviously been trying like a smaller lineup, but it hasn't mattered because ever since game two, um, I mean, Favors went into beast mode in game two. And since then, he's just been standing his ground. He's playing tough guy. Like, it's hard to get around or over him just like it is Gobert, especially when Favors is playing like that. Um, but Gobert has just done a terrific job of keeping Steven Adams off of what he's best at and then getting into his head. I mean, he's been, he fouled out in game two and he had four fouls and I'm surprised he didn't foul out again last night. Yeah. I think the reason he didn't foul out of a uh, game, uh, the game three was that he didn't, I don't remember seeing him a whole lot in that kind of late third quarter and fourth quarter. You know, maybe he just didn't go in. I don't remember. Or maybe I just didn't notice him, which perhaps maybe, is more praise for Rudy Gobert in that Steven Adams was a non-factor in Game 3. And you mentioned those fouls, and and in Game 2 it's like he fouled out, okay, maybe that's just a bit of an anomaly, but then he had foul trouble again in Game 3, back-to-back games, and you have to wonder how much of the game plan um, is, you know, Quinn Snyder trying to get Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert to force Steven Adams into foul trouble. And I think that's, that's you know, you, you have both of them on the floor to start the game. Maybe they're trying as quickly as possible to give two fouls to Steven Adams as he tries to stand his ground against 
essentially the Twin Towers in Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's definitely a focus. I mean, if you make it hard for Steven Adams to do anything, then what else is Billy Donovan supposed to do? <laughs> I mean, what, the, the luxury for us is that we have two big guys, whereas Oklahoma City has one. It's all reliant on Steven Adams. If Steven Adams isn't in the game, who do they got? Patrick Patterson? Patrick Patterson's decent. Like, he's a good player. But there's no way in hell he's going to stay with Rudy or Favors. Yeah, that that is, that is definitely the case. And when they put those backups in, when it's not Steven Adams, then the Jazz easily go inside and they force those breakdowns. We talked a lot about, a lot about this in previous podcasts, breaking down the defense. And then that forces so many open shots. And I, I remember kind of late into the game when things were really starting to fall apart for the Thunder. You'd see this kind of pick and roll action where you know either Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors or somebody would be cutting to the middle. And it would collapse the entire backside defense. And they would throw it to a wide open Joe Ingles. This happened like two times in the space of a couple of minutes. And Joe Ingles just wide open. Nobody in the same zip code as him. There were fans closer to him than other players. And he would just drain this wide open three-point shot, which were killers. And I just think that's huge. Again, it goes back to dominating the interior. And the Jazz have been able to do that since, again, like you said, without Steven Adams, the Thunder basically don't have big men. And the Jazz have two that they can stagger minutes or even worse for the thunder have them both on the court and perhaps an underrated part of this is that Derek favors is generally able to keep up with carmelo anthony and play good defense on him so yeah well and if it was a younger carmelo he'd be able to get around him pretty easily i mean he still he still has proven he can still get to the to the basket on him, but at the same time, like Carmelo's up there in age, he, he can't move the same. And it's just weird, like seeing that there's this super talented starting uh, starting lineup in Oklahoma City, but they rely so heavily on initiating their plays through isolation basketball, whether it's Paul George, Westbrook, or Carmelo getting it in the high po uh, in the like what like 20 feet out from the hoop and like the elbow. Um, and everything initiates from there. It's, I feel like it's a lot easier to um, take those away from them. Give don't they don't have their spots that they want. And watching uh, Westbrook be which, like you said, how he's like tentative and he's just kind of not himself. I mean, he used to hit these like pull up jumpers like they were nothing, and he pulls that up, and it's like I, he's gonna miss that. Yeah, and, and honestly, I feel like the Jazz are daring him to take those shots even more. Um, and, and, you know, every time, like like you said, like when he pulls up for that mid-range jumper, I, you know, do a little internal fist bump and say, yeah, the Jazz defense did good this possession. Even if he makes it, it's like, okay, whatever. We'll get those two points back at some point, and he'll miss like five more of those throughout the game if, if he ends up taking them. And I do think you're right in that, Probably a big part of the Jazz game plan is to get these, force the Thunder out of their usual isolation spots and make them play, you know, a different style of basketball. And the Jazz are kind of funneling them to where they want to go, and it's throwing them off. 
And, you know, obviously these guys are good enough players to where, you know, Paul George had 23 points. No matter how good the Jazz play on defense, you know, Paul George is generally going to get somewhere around 20 to 25 points or more. He makes yeah. a lot of good shots. But it, it's that it's that limiting them to where, you know, in, in this last game, you know, Paul George had 23 points, but Westbrook and Carmelo each had 14 points. They were just – they felt like, again, I, I use this word again – non-factors on offense which is astounding considering that's really the two things those guys are known for you know Melo and Westbrook they're known for being able to create things on offense and they haven't been able to do that against the Jazz so again that's that's just more praise for the Jazz defense which obviously we've been raving for about 20 minutes now Um, Hmm. but one thing I did want to talk about and and Trey you brought this up last week um, I believe in terms of the offense, where we talked about how in game one, the Jazz did pretty well on defense. They haven't done a ton different, I think, in terms of game one versus the next two games. It's just the Thunder haven't been quite as red hot as they were in that game. But their offense definitely has changed because they, you know, they did end up technically that, uh, in game one, they did score like 108 points, but it felt like, you know, a lot of that was kind of garbage time points. But tell me, what have you seen from the offense in games two and three that you felt has been different and has led to, obviously, a pair of wins and a, a, a 2-1 series lead? Ball movement. Ball movement and being aggressive. Um, the shot selection has been way better um and ricky has really really just turned everything on at the right time like uh i remember game one you know ricky was doing his best to initiate the offense but the offense was still stagnant it was almost like they were trying to feel something out whereas uh games two and three the jazz are flowing they're moving they're using their cuts they're using the back door they're using anything that they possibly can to execute their offense and the confidence is letting them hit shots. Um, um, with that said, I really don't think, uh, despite all the points, like all five of our starters were in double figures last night. And that says a lot to what this starting unit is. I mean, both teams are very reliant on their starting five. If you think about it, but, um, Ricky Rubio having a huge night. First time someone's triple-doubled since John Stockton in the playoffs for the Jazz. is just ridiculous. Yeah, and I would definitely point so much of that credit specifically on Ricky Rubio. And, and obviously, I, I agree with that ball movement. That has absolutely been huge. But I think Ricky Rubio specifically, because in game one he had 13 points, was generally inefficient. What was his shooting percentage? It was like 5 of 18. And in the next game, he wasn't actually that much better. He was only like, um, see, you know, that, that's game three. Game two, he was six of 16, although he was five of eight from three. So it was really efficient shooting outside. And then in this last game, where uh, obviously you mentioned he had the triple-double, he had he was nine of 18, and he had 26 points. And he was five of five on mid-range jumpers. At least I, I saw this, I believe it was from ESPN. Five of five on mid-range jumpers. Those little weird half fadeaway things, or kind of side fadeaway things that he does in or around the key. And mm. several of those were were key buckets. You know, 
run starters or run stoppers um, for Oklahoma City. And his scoring, I, I never thought I would say this, but Ricky Rubio's scoring has, in essence, saved the Jazz playoffs so far. You know, And you'd think Donovan Mitchell would have been the kind of guy to jump out and do really well, but he actually was in foul trouble for a good chunk of this game. And he did, a, he did end up having 22 points, um, but it was definitely Ricky Rubio's offense um, that I think played a factor, as well as uh, another player who had a breakout game for the playoffs, Joe Ingles. Uh, he's had, I mean, in games one and two, he was, let's see, game one he had 13 points, and game two he had three points. You know, he had he had more games last night than he did combined in games one and two. And shot really well from three, had a couple of back-breaking threes um, that, that I've already that I've already mentioned and he was he was a part of the offense which is something that is so key you know he is essentially the yeah you have the obviously Ricky Rubio being the main point guard but Joe Ingles is kind of like the you know the you have the, you have the 1A and the 1B with Ricky Rubio and Joe Ingles in terms of being the point guard and I think the fact that he was involved scoring wise and just being able to move the ball around was definitely huge uh, especially in game three. Yeah, I, and that's more of that ball movement. I think that Quinn made an adjustment to try and see if he could get Ingles more open looks because um, as good a defender as Paul George has been throughout the series, he wasn't that great last night like at all. Joe Ingles had the best of him, and uh, it was really, I mean, it was really good to see Joe finally get a game like that, and they were huge shots. So one thing I, I kind of want to talk about, as, as we've been talking and I was thinking before the podcast, you know, thinking about these, you know, the defense and obviously some of the offensive adjustments and just some of the things that I've seen, what have you thought of the coaching battle between Quinn Snyder and Billy Donovan? I mean, you just barely mentioned Quinn trying to get more open looks for Joe Ingles. You think Quinn's been out coaching Billy Donovan the last, these last couple of games? No question. Yeah, absolutely. No question. Like, I, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, Billy Donovan is he's an OK coach. He he coached in Florida for a very long time for a very good reason. But when you have a team game plan that solely relies on isolation basketball, that's not I mean, that's not in a there's no adjustments being made, you know, like and his defense is reacting. They're not planning for anything there i mean yeah Quinn snyder is a superior coach yeah and I, w- I would totally agree with that and in that quinn has been really out coaching him i think you know, I mentioned the offensive adjustments the fact that joe Ingles has now been more involved and i think one of the things i thought of is when i was watching this last game in particular billy donovan would have that we talked about the the five out that people try to do against the Jazz to get Ruby or to get Rudy out of the paint, but then they weren't taking advantage of it. And I'm wondering, you have this lineup out there with the specific purpose of getting Rudy Gobert out of the paint, and you end up with a 20-foot jump shot. Either that's bad coaching, like bad play calling, or maybe the players are just ignoring the coach, which may be another strike on him 
that or there is obviously the third option. The Jazz just are that awesome on D. It could be any one of those. And maybe there's some defensive adjustments that I just haven't noticed because I'm not a smart enough basketball guy. But it's possible that Quinn has been making more and more defensive adjustments to try and stop what happened in game one from happening again. Because we know these are talented players and they can go off multiple times. But yeah, I, I definitely agree that Quinn Snyder has outcoached Billy Donovan these last couple of games. And it'll be an ongoing battle. Billy's going to have to coach a really good game four to save this series for him. Because again, I've already mentioned this. If they go down in game four... The Jazz have all the momentum, all the advantages. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they the Jazz win and the Jazz win in Game Four. Um, they go back to OKC. OKC might win the next game, but that leaves us coming back to Salt Lake with our incredible playoff atmosphere. Man, I I was so excited and happy to see that place so pumped like the entire game i haven't seen that state i haven't seen that place stand for a good portion of the game like that in a very very long time and i think it's just awesome that you know we were in the playoffs last year and we were a 50 win team and you know all that going for us and yet we come out this year and there's just something different about it you know there was all this talk about oh, playoff Vivin. Is it going to be as loud as we remember it back in, you know, the John Stockton days or the maybe even some of the Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer days when we made it to the Western Conference uh, Finals? But it, it's just amazing to me the difference between just this year and last year. And you can make the argument that last year they were as good, if not better, than us. And I, th- we, I think we've talked about this. I think we both believe we were better than last year. But it, I don't know. Why I can't explain why everyone would be so much more excited for for this year compared to last year, but I'm with everyone else, and that I am way more excited this year. So it's kind of one of those things that you can't put your finger on, but you know, you know, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but I was more excited for this playoff series than no, I was I, last I, year. You're making sense. Yeah, so it it's just more of that. How much this franchises seem to you know again over the summer it felt like this we were just going off another cliff and we we're gonna have to go into this you know new rebuild or pivot or whatever again we were calling it but we've not only blown that off but we've built our franchise even more and have climbed to even newer heights and again That's I've kinda, the, i yeah. think you've hit it on the head there I, like i really think that you, we all know why we love this team more because Gordon Hayward left. He left a sour taste in many Jazz fans' mouths, and, and we all like you know being loyal fans. We we're like, okay, well, we'll get through this. Whatever, it's just going to be a slow process. Whatever, and then you know we, I, we've talked about it so many times. December happened, and then all of a sudden everybody was like. Okay, well, this is who we are now. Okay, cool. Everyone got on board, and there's. Everyone feels a lot more invested in this team because of the circumstances and where we've come from and what we are achieving right now. I think that's exactly why this playoffs feels more special than the last playoffs because if you think about it, we were expected to go to the playoffs last year. Nobody expected the Jazz to go to the playoffs this year. 
So that and like that itself, I think, is the main reason why this is a more uh, investing. Like fans are feel more invested in this team because we kind of feel like we've grown up with this team. Or I, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I I definitely think you're right, and I, I liked how you explained that. Um, you know, much better than me. I, I think that does play a huge fact. We weren't expected to go to the playoffs, and I think also just the personalities we have on this team are so much more lovable. Um, and again, I don't want to say that Gordon Hayward wasn't a lovable guy. He he he's kind of a bit mellow, but he wasn't a guy. He was that attractive. Wanted. That was about it. <laughs> yeah, he he wasn't a a despicable personality, mostly because he didn't really have a personality. But yeah, it, it, this this team does. It appeals to the fans more. Um, and maybe the promotion's also been a little bit better. Um, just so many of the exciting things have happened. Um, but let's let's look forward a little bit. We're going to kind of pivot and transition into, we've obviously talked for a long time about the last couple of games or even the last three games in general. You know, what do the Jazz need to do to win? Let's you know win two more games. That's all it's going to take. We have four games to win two. So... I mean, I guess maybe we've already covered this, but <laughs> what, what do you think it's going to take for two more wins against you know a star-studded lineup in Oklahoma City that won three out of four matchups against us in the regular season? Um, more of the same, but um, and I think Quinn Snyder. I mean, we just talked about him being a superior coach to Billy Donovan. I think he has a really, really, really good idea of what the Thunder will be throwing at them in game four. Um, they're going to come out swinging hard in that first quarter. But I think that this team is not not just the team, that they're ready for what's about to happen. But Quinn is, Quinn's got some tricks up his sleeve, I, I still feel like. The defense is going to be there. Um, I think the, the best chance the Oklahoma City Thunder have of getting another win is tomorrow. Um, and I only say that because they are going to be playing with a desperation that if the Jazz win, they won't play with that same desperation in Oklahoma City. And I think that if the Jazz win tomorrow night, I think we I think we win in Oklahoma City because Oklahoma City is going to be playing desperate tomorrow night, and I don't think they will play with that same desperation in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. And I think one p- player in particular who will be playing with a bit of desperation is Russell Westbrook. And there was a quote that kind of came out today. There's an interview where in the – I think did you already mentioned this, where he mentioned uh, Ricky Rubio, um, how uh, he, he said it, that it wasn't going to happen again. Like Ricky Rubio's triple-double, his 26 points and all that, he said it wasn't going to happen again. I'm going to stop that uh, crap, except he didn't say that. Um, oh yeah, I'm gonna turn that shit off. I guarantee yeah. it. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. So that was that was his, uh, I guess, declaration. And and I would take that serious. If I'm Quinn Snyder, I think, all right, Russell Westbrook's gonna come out of this next game with his hair on fire. How quickly can we put that out or force him into a, another that mode where he ends up going, you know, he goes like five of thirty in a game. You know that that where he's aggressive, but it's that kind of, for lack of a better term, that stupid aggressiveness that out loses the game and yeah, out of control. 
uh, which he has a tendency to do. He also has the tendency to just go superhuman and score 40 points in a game and single-handedly win a game. And so I think, you know, for Quinn Snyder in terms of his game plan, look for Russell Westbrook to be crazy aggressive and try and take advantage of that and see what you can turn that into. And again, a lot of the same things they've been doing in the last two games, take Steven Adams out of the game, force Paul George to take more jump shots, just make his shots more difficult in general. And I think that can win a game four. And just like you said, I think if the Jazz win game four, they win game five. So, Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a way to put put the cannonball in the side of the ship or whatever side that is, port side, I don't know. I'm not a pirate. Um, but um, I think that's, like, yeah, take the wind out of their sails. I mean, yeah, you're right. Westbrook's going to be coming out like a crazy man tomorrow night, and Quinn Snyder's going to be ready for it. Um, the question is, is how is Ricky Rubio going to stay in front of it? Because when Westbrook plays with – with his crazy, his crazy adrenaline phase, man, he's very, very, very hard to stay in front of, if not contain and get a hand in front of. But I think that the Jazz will be just fine because at the end of the day, Westbrook has to pass the ball at some point. And if his supporting cast can't put the ball down and he's the only one trying to do anything, one guy against five five other guys is not going to win a game. Yeah, and you mentioned... Rubio staying in front of Westbrook. If Westbrook does come out super aggressive, Rubio won't. It just won't happen. He won't stay in front of Russell Westbrook, which is why swarming him once he gets into the paint will be huge. And, heck, Rudy Gobert can be a one-man swarm sometimes. And when he gets in there, oftentimes he's going super fast, and he either has, you know, he's got a, a mere handful of options. He can put up a crazy shot. He can throw out a crazy pass, which if you look at the last game, he had quite a few passes out of the key, and half of them ended in turnovers. You know, or maybe he'll take a charge or get the ball back in his face, uh, courtesy of the long arms of Rudy Gobert. And yeah. that'll be the key is the help defense and also not letting that help defense you know, give Russ Westbrook what he wants because sometimes when you collapse the defense, he's able to find, you know, say, Steven Adams for a, you know, a wide open dunk or layup. So that'll be the yeah, main and, key. And he was doing that a lot last game. Um, he was actually getting some really good penetration and he was dumping it off to the easy, to the easy shot. But I just feel like I kind of have this feeling like Quinn Snyder's getting used. Someone as a decoy to just kind of go in and while he's driving into the hoop, they're just going to be waiting for him to take the charge. And Russell Westbrook will have like three fouls in the first half. Just offensive charges, you know. Jonas Jerebko. Yeah, you're up. yeah. You're up. Use, use Jonas. <laughs> I, I'd be cool with that. Yeah. Uh, he, he's had a weird, weird up and down se- um, series because the first game, I was ticked at him because he was minus ten in like four minutes or minus seven in four minutes. Uh, missed all of his shots. Game two, he has like ten points, five rebounds. Great game from him. Uh, he was like plus seventeen again in like just ten minutes. Or something to that effect, and then in game mm-hmm. three he again barely appears. So I don't know if it's just like Quinn's changing his mind, or maybe Stephen Adams just isn't playing as much. I don't know what's going on, but Jonas is uh, yeah, he's not getting consistent minutes in in any sense of the word. 
because he doesn't know how many minutes he's going to play from game to game. Right. But anyway, any last thoughts, Trey, before we close it out? Um, I just wanted to point out that um, ESPN has Utah by five and a half tomorrow night. That's the first time this series the Jazz have been picked as the favorite. Really? Yep. I thought they were favorite in game three. Maybe I was wrong. Oh, well, if they were, I didn't see it. And then I'll just act like it, it wasn't there. <laughs> All right. We, we, won't look in, we won't look into that any further. Um, but thank you so much for listening, everybody. Once again, this has been Hashtag Jazz with Jason Walker and Trey Sanders. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week.